Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy April 8th. It is a gorgeous day out there. 74 degrees, but if you give it two or three more days, it should be snowing be and snow. 30 again. So yes. we're in that time of year, but uh, I have a spring in my step today because it's so nice outside. So thank you for joining us on whatever day of the week you're listening. Uh, Mara Caravello is in house with me today. Greg Hughes has chosen to take a leave of absence today. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lady show. Yeah, he shined us today. But yeah, it's okay. We don't need him, Greg. Sorry. (laughs) And if we talk about you, you can't defend yourself. No. Well, maybe next week we'll let you. We'll just we'll see what we talk about to see um, (laughs) if he's allowed to. Uh, Today, kind of a momentous day. Yesterday was the bigger day, but uh, for the first time in the U.S. history, we have our first Black woman, African American. That will be confirmed as a Supreme Court Justice, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. That was a 53 to 47 vote. Today they had the big celebration that actually happened at the Capitol afterwards, kind of a party. And uh, I saw Mayor Aaron Mendenhall there and um, a couple other people from Utah. And it was kind of fun seeing the pictures because it was mm-hmm. who's who of, um, I think, African-American politics and pop culture, and it was a huge celebration that I'm sure was a long time in coming for many, so it was fun to watch. Yeah, it was really fun. So I I Googled this because I was trying to think. I knew John Jay. John Jay, a little history. John Jay was our first Supreme Court justice. Now he has a college named after him. Um, He was appointed 233 years ago, so that's the first time we had a chief justice. That seems a long time ago, and at the same time, not that long ago. Yeah, Hmm. but it did take us 233 years to have a black female jurist. Here we are. So um, I want to get to, you have a fun little article to share with us, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the hearing and the vote yesterday because we were all watching. I think we've all seen the same two clips of video over and over again (laughs) with the applause at the end after the vote. Uh, I think we all know what the vote was going to be. It wasn't a big surprise. Uh, Mitt Romney siding with Democrats and uh, giving her the thumbs up, uh, making it the 53 votes. There were three Republicans. And uh, when you showed, uh, when they showed the applause, you could see everyone on the Democratic side. And Mm -hmm. then they panned over to the other side of the room where Republicans were. And Mitt Romney was a lone soldier standing there applauding. And it just happened to be that uh, Senator Mike Lee was obviously leaving, but caught at the wrong time because they go over there. That's right. And he's walking out. But the thing I don't understand, and maybe I just am a screwed up human being. But even if you vote against someone, you decide not to confirm, why not just stand there? You don't even have to clap. You don't have to wildly clap. You could golf clap. But why mm-hmm. not just stand there in the right. moment and appreciate that we have another Supreme Court justice? That's how I felt. So I mean, I mean, the names don't matter. What I felt bad about is that Senator X wasn't honoring the senator role, right? So the yes, no vote is about the person or about the constituency or about what he or she feels is most important. But 
the decorum of the office you hold, I was disappointed. I felt like it was Bush League for the senators to not stand in applause. What they're applauding is not the person. They're applauding that a justice of the, the Supreme system, Court yeah. of the United States had just been um, appointed. And so he had his moment, particularly since these, these senators also have a platform. So they were able to express themselves. They were able to express their concerns. But at that moment, I feel the same way if you're at an inauguration, um, honor the inauguration. Uh, it, the State of the Union is the only thing that's different because there's a little bit of a call response. Yeah. But even that, there's a decorum to it. And we are more and more not holding to those moments in which this was this he needed to be a senator at that moment not just his own set of personal opinions and to not stand and applaud like you said it can be it could be a golf applause it doesn't have to be rousting but i think the office of justice and the office of senate demands a little more maturity yeah and i wanted to see if maybe this is what happens every time and maybe the last couple times democrats walked out as soon as the vote was over but i couldn't see and even still whether i I don't think one side doing it and the other side doing it makes it right i just i don't know there's a lot of things that make me mad these days and i just want to be polite society sometimes Mm -hmm. and so i was disappointed to see that but uh definitely momentous day uh, that will go down in the history books here um in our country which i think is important yeah Uh, during those hearings Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson uh, was asked what the definition of woman is, and that's gotten a lot of play, a lot of memes. Mm-hmm. And you said uh, while you were walking, you're a real, um, what a do you call that, multitasker. Yeah, yes. I was. Well, you I were walking and reading, and you read some cool things, so I'm going to let you I just read something Sharon. funny. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share some notes. I'm going to give credit since I really am just reading a story to you. Washington Post published a story today by Monica Hess and... Um, it, the title is Republicans Thought Defining, quote, woman, unquote, is easy, then they tried. So go read it. And I really, well, Greg's not here, so I get to be one-sided, but some of it was just funny. So they grabbed um, Marjorie Taylor Greene first. She said, I'm going to tell you right now what is a woman. It, these are all quotes. It's, it's an easy answer. We're a creation of God. We came from Adam's rib. God created us with his hands. He may, we may be the weaker sex, we are the weaker sex, but we are our partner. We are our husband's wife. Okay, so that's... that's so she went very biblical. That's her definition. Um, Madison, I like to think I'm stronger sometimes yeah, mentally, I'm not, physically, I'm not, say, I'm not agreeing to the weaker sex okay. part, but Madison Cawthorn, um, Republican from North Carolina, he said, science isn't Burger King. You can't just have it your way. Take note, Madam Speaker. <laughs> We're about to define what a woman is for you. X chromosome, no tallywhacker. It's so simple. So the reporter says, hey, I had to go ask my OED editor um, to get involved and explain tallywhacker. So the explanation from the Washington Post OED editor is tallywhacker is an Americanism, a variant on the word tallywag, which means the testicles and male genitalia. (laughs) Um, Merriam-Webster also defines it as a sea bass from the Atlantic coast. So that is Mm, Madison's version. And finally, Josh Hawley's version of what a woman is. He says, someone who can give birth to a child, a a mother, is a woman. Someone who has a uterus is a woman. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. The reporter then says, oh, so someone who has a hysterectomy, are they still a woman? He says, oh, well, I don't know. Would they be? So she goes on to write. You should read the article. I thought it was well thought out, if not a little cheeky, about these. All three of these, as our listeners know, are very conservative Republican lawmakers. Um, the point being that the I, I think what I got out of that is they were asking for a legal definition. We received a biblical definition. We received 
points of view, um, words like tallywhacker. And I, I thought the point being, yeah. hmm, it's maybe perhaps a little harder to define in a legal construct than we think. I would have been like me, hear me I'm roar. Like, I, I, I am I, the one. This is what you look at. I know. I guess who knew it was, it was so hard. I'm going to have to sit fun. down after this and write out my own definition of what a woman of what is. It is. Yeah, mine is not going to be subordinate to the male gender, just for those who are looking at it. Although I would like to say I am formally um, in my home, the weaker sex as in muscles. Yes. I had to move furniture today, and I really hate moving furniture. (laughs) I just, I'm always just like, why are we doing this? Like, if we had to do this, if we owned a moving company, we would be divorced. We we wouldn't own a moving company because I'm just not strong. I could not carry things. I'm a tough chick on the inside, though. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Senator Romney. He was, as we just mentioned, uh, standing and applauding uh, during that historic hearing. Uh, He has also been quick to criticize President Biden this week over his decision to rescind border restrictions. And these are the restrictions that were put in place by President Trump at the time, and it was in the middle of COVID, and it was one way. I don't even know if it was COVID-related, but it was one way that they could keep the masses from crossing the border. That's going to be lifted in May. And there's calls from both Democrats and Republicans right now saying this might not be the best idea. Romney uh, wrote on Twitter, worst domestic news today, the Biden administration will admit double or more the number of undocumented immigrants at the border starting May 28th. Do you agree with him or is it an okay decision? We got to go back to how we were. So I'm, I'm mixed on it. I think there's a lot to criticize about Biden's approach to immigration, but I think it's what I've been critical of for years. And um, so I think that what he's rescinding is a title that was very specifically applied by the Trump administration right before he left office, and it is related to the CDC. It is related to COVID. Now, the net effect of it is it also slowed down immigration during this time. So what I, I, I am for Biden taking this back because... One of the reasons I think our immigration system is screwed up is we have laws that are being used for unintended reasons. So I think the Biden administration deserves to be criticized. And I think what America needs and continues to need to expect is wholesale reform of the immigration system. And when we just pull at certain levers here and there, whether that's just um, the time you can stay, how to get a green card, rescinding Title 54, uh, looking at some border expectations and not others... It's, it's almost like our healthcare problem. We're pulling and picking and pulling some strings, and then we're using unintended consequences to do another. One of the reasons I like Biden doing this is it cleans up and gets rid of COVID as, um, as a negotiating point of our borders. Now, I think the larger issue is our borders messed up. They are a little bit. Is our system of becoming um, a worker here? We've never embraced the fact, well, American business has long embraced that immigrants are the backbone of many of our industries still. And so we need to work on how do you work here and go back? How do you become a citizen? How do you get green cards? How do you students? But as long as we keep parsing these decisions, I think we never get to real reform. So it's a long answer to say I agree that the Biden system should be criticized. I think this law was in place because of COVID, and I don't want to see yet another immigration law that is now moved and used for other purposes. But now we've got to take it seriously, both sides, Republicans and Democrats, and figure out what's best to do. We do. And the thing is, is 
the broken system is a broken system, and I think the world recognizes how broken it is because right now we're talking about taking Ukrainian refugees in, and uh, Ukrainian families are saying there's no fast pass. It was like what we were seeing when people were trying to get out of Afghanistan. The we train. were saying, we'll give you a legal way out. We want you to come to our country. But when they were trying to fill out the paperwork, nothing was happening. And so we've said we're accepting, is it 100,000? Mm-hmm. I forget, um, of Ukrainian refri- refugees into our country. But anyone who's trying is saying, can't do it. Yeah, the process isn't in place. So families are realizing that if they go to the uh, U.S.-Mexico border, they can get in. Right. We've done two stories this week at KUTV of families that have gone about the system. There's one right now who is planning to go the not legal route in just going through. You get apprehended. You kind of go through the you know mm-hmm. customs, and then you're let back into right. the country. And a year later or whenever it is, they give you a court date, and you show up. If you show up and right. you don't, you don't. There was another family where the mom disappeared for a few days. She went across the border, but she went in saying, I'm from Ukraine. This is my visa. This is my passport. This is, And because she went the legal way and she was trying to get permission to do it right, she got caught in the system where I think she was held um, like in a jail without her phone or anything that she mm-hmm. had to contact her family for days on end. So right now, doing it the right way isn't working either. Isn't working either because it was scary mm-hmm. for this family. They're like, we don't know if she's dead, if she's <laughs> alive, where she's being held, if she's not being held. You know, <laughs> what happened somewhere across the border, something happened. Yeah. When your laws don't work for your, you, yeah. they don't work, right? They're not working for immigrants. They're not working for Americans. They're not working for refugees. The laws aren't working, and yet we still keep having petty politic. And I do think you have to bite off all of them because otherwise it's hodgepodge and it's interesting. The other thing I think that gets lost in the immigration discussion is, you know, the act of crossing the border into America undocumented or unauthorized is a criminal action. Being in America without documentation is a civil action, right? So undocumented or unauthorized immigrants in this, as long as you're not caught crossing the border, it becomes a civil enterprise when you're in the United States. And just clarifying, and as you've suggested, one of the travesties of late is we are detaining and essentially imprisoning. And that's actually against what we say are our laws is imprisonment. Mm-hmm. You should be detained, but the volume doesn't allow us to do it. And I just think both sides have overpartisan this. I actually think this is an area where there's a ton of agreement and it's just who do we have that can bring the sides together, let go of the politic of it. It's good politics on both sides, right? You yeah. can blame on both sides. So I don't think they want to give that up as a political choice. But I actually think the policy decision making has a big overlap. That's the problem is I think both sides need it to be accomplished. But I think they always see the next mm-hmm. election coming. And if they sit they down and agree go, yeah. and come up with good policy, it's not great for their election because, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a wall or whatever it is on the other side, it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't play well. So I really hope that we can all grow up, put our big girl and boy yep. panties on and figure it out. Yeah. Well, this will play on both sides, right? This yeah. Biden has been told that he's doing this t- because he's playing to the Democrats. And this will certainly we this will result in more immigration and that will be a pummeling point for Republicans to use against Democrats as well. Yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see in the coming months. Uh, well, here's some good news. The All-Star Game is staying in Salt Lake City. There was a lot of talk um, at the end of the legislative session about whether or not the transgender athlete bill would make the NBA pull the game because there had been um, historical precedents. I think it was in North Carolina was, where they yeah. pulled a game. And I think after the law was rescinded or struck down or whatever legal was, it went away. They got the game back again. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people assumed the same thing would happen here. But the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, came out this 
week and said they'd had no discussion over the past two days when they'd been meeting about moving the All-Star game from Salt Lake City, and they said that they didn't anticipate moving the game. So it seems like it's a pretty for sure done deal uh, coming next year in February. And he also mentioned Ryan Smith. I know that a lot of people were like, why is Ryan Smith weighing in after the vote? But he sent out a press release and a quote online um, saying that he was not supportive of the legislation. And I think that that's probably an important piece to the puzzle. Uh, The governor saying that he didn't support it and also Ryan Smith in, I guess, why the NBA can say you can keep the game because they say the ownership is supportive of... Yeah, I hope what this is, I hope some of the results, if if you read between the lines, it read a little bit like we're still going to keep it and that Ryan Smith pretty much said, well, we're going to use it as a platform to have a discussion about how, about we're going to show equity and we're going to show generosity. And so I hope it's used as a platform. I was a little surprised the, the NBA took such a different approach because it seemed like the same thing that had happened earlier. I think the reality is also in between that event and this event, 18 other states took adverse reaction action against I think that's it, because they said they're watching all the states, and yeah. when you are trying to plan oh, a big event, yeah. and you can't, you can't be pulling out of events all the time. And so when the entire country is talking about this issue, whether we like it or not, it's a Republican top talking point issue. Mm-hmm. Democrats do the same thing. They pick an issue, they push it through all the legislatures. And when it's going through every legislature, right. how do you pick which state that you yes. can put your game? Same and thing with sort with of it? boycotting um, stores that aren't, you know, that have ownership that you don't like. It sort of works for one store, but what, what, do you just boycott every retail store based on what their owners do? I mean, it, the economy of scale matters. I hope they use it as a platform, if in fact the jazz ownership group, my understanding is one of his partners, one of his um, owner partners has a trans kid. And so I hope they use this as a platform to have a broader discussion. They don't have to talk about the legislation. That's not what I'm saying. But like, it would be good to get back in the world um, issues of equality and, and respect and things like that. And so hopefully he takes that. He has shown himself to not be afraid. The Ryan Smith has shown himself to not be his afraid. His owner of that. partner, I see his face, and I'm like, That's why I, I I'm was like, what like, is uh, his yeah, name? I'm I like, know. you know what it is, Mara. Yeah, I do. Dwayne Wade. Yes, thank yes. you. Yes, yes, yeah. he has a trans daughter, yeah. and so I think that definitely um, weighs into. So, uh, for Salt Lake City, for Utah, I'm excited that they're coming because we just we need to fill up our brand new hotel. We, we need to do. put on a good show and get back to life. We need some action on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Before we move on, though, interestingly enough, the same day that the NBA came out and said that uh, 1,000, about 1,000, I should say, West High students held a walkout at their school in support of transgender students and athletes. It was a big turnout, surprisingly, because sometimes when you see these school walkouts, you know, some kids leave, but not a lot of kids. Yeah. They had a big turnout. The one thing that really bothered me about this is they're coming out after the fact saying they support, which I think it's important to have a voice no matter when. But if you're going to have a walkout, why didn't they walk up the hill? West when it High, could pressure. Yes, because yeah. West High is literally the, probably the only high school in mm-hmm. walking distance from the state capitol in the mm-hmm. state. And I'm thinking if kids want to have a say, this is the time to start learning that maybe taking that protest on a day that the legislature is in session and they're talking about this bill, take it up to the hill. Yeah, I thought that same. I mean, I appreciated the act, and I hope what the teachers are doing is saying your voice will matter. They got great coverage, but it was sort of just a protest. And we we talk, we do a lot of trainings on sort of civic activism, and there's one side of the coin, which is elevating an issue and sort of 
galvanizing and marching. And the second part is changing code. And when you change the code, that means you're going to a very boring committee hearing or you're maybe going to a Tuesday night council meeting. And I hope these students, now that they've done, they've started to engage in activism, now I hope they show up at the legislature because it's coming back next year. And so I hope if they feel strongly about this or any issue, but I thought the same, like there is... It's really important to verbalize into the world your feelings, but that also doesn't change laws for people. Yeah. And um, so I'm glad they got united about a huge turnout, uh, but they need to translate that into continuing to pressure when you could actually prevent or engage in a law. It makes good TV. I mean, you look back at the Black Lives Matter protests and all the people in the streets. And I think a certain amount of, you know, large groups gets people's attention and gets people talking. But Mm -hmm. if when the protests end, you don't show up at those meetings, Mm -hmm. like you said, the boring stuff, the hard work of it, then nothing changes. And then you're just somebody complaining. And that's our thing with kids. When we do trainings, I do, we do a lot of high school trainings and I'll say, listen, it's exciting just go viral and everyone likes it. But don't confuse that with action. And and that's elevation of an issue. These are such important steps in civic engagement. But the conclusion of civic engagement is having a decision maker make a decision yeah. that you like or dislike. Or, and good know. policy doesn't usually go viral. It's the really divisive no, stuff on does. one side or the other <laughs> never, that, yeah. that, that goes viral. is really not what uh, gets down to the brass tacks of solving problems. Uh, we have been looking at the numbers this week after there were so many people saying that they wanted right. to change and Go red, and Democrats here in Utah did. We looked at the numbers, but the number of Democrats switching for the primary election was not as big as we saw in the last election. And it's a hard, it's not really an apples-to-apples comparison because we had the new law where you had to do it by March last time. I think you actually had all the way up until the election. There might have been a few days before, but it was sometime in June. So you definitely had more time when you're getting closer to the election where if you thought, okay, I want to be serious about this, you could pull the plug and change. So... The numbers break down that in the March deadline, about 9,200 Democrats changed their party affiliation uh, to become Republican. That was between January and March that they changed. And then about 16,500 unaffiliated voters uh, affiliated with the Republican Party. If you were look to 2020, the numbers were a lot bigger. Um, we're looking at the unaffiliated was almost 50,000 and close to 22,000 Democrats. But when you look at this time, uh, I would say about 25,000, 26,000 did register for the Republican primary who weren't already. Can that sway an election? Can that make a difference? I think that every vote matters, so it possibly could. You know, every vote does matter, and we overestimate how wide the margins are, and particularly in, you know, you saw the Ben McAdams race. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and I think in these congressional races, they can start making a difference. The other thing this doesn't take into account is how many unaffiliated voters just remained Republican. Uh, we would need to look and see if if that's what I was going to who right, they just stayed because just they're stayed like, and I may they were as like, well. why bother? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, they they see a midterm coming up and they think, well, that's where the races are going to be yeah. anyway. So I do think it will matter. I do think that generally held is that midterm and early elections are for hardcore party people. Absolutely. And I think that's still true. The question then becomes, as Greg would say, is it diluting enough? Does it does it um, mirror now general elections? And if it mirrors general elections, that's a moderating force. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a, I agree. It's a lot smaller, but it's still like nothing to... 
you know, 16,000, that's, you know. Yeah, and when you think about 26,000 between the two groups, it's a lot of people, because sometimes when we're going through midterm elections, certainly it's different than when you're looking at municipal elections, but races are won by small margins, and the voter turnout is never as big as you'd like it to be. So Mm -hmm. I think it can make a difference. It'll be interesting to see. And we have some hearty fights, right? We have some primaries. Yes, that's the crazy part, is I didn't realize until I started going through the numbers this week. Sorry, I need a cough button in here. Allergy season, you're good. It is. I'll figure it out. Let's see. You can cough while I talk here for a second. So uh, the U.S. Senate uh, race right now with Becky Edwards, Ali Isom, and Mike Lee, they all have the 28,000 votes necessary. And the only congressional district where we're not going to have a runout race is the third. So first congressional district is Tina Cannon and Blake Moore. Second district is Aaron Ryder and Chris Stewart. Fourth congressional district, Jake Hunsaker and Burgess Owens. And when it comes down to it, it always matters if you have name recognition. And to be honest, I don't recognize a lot of these names <laughs> and maybe it's because I don't run in the right circles but yeah. uh, you run in different circles than I do do some of these have you know some good groundswell around them so let's start with first congressional Tina Cannon ran against Blake Moore but remember at the time it was an open seat so mm, this is a re-round yeah. for her okay she's a county commissioner she is a strong woman in a red suit who knows her messaging and she is considered solid right so usually you'd look and say ah she's lost to this guy before he's the incumbent and I think that that will prevail the only thing that starts to make this interesting is what we covered the last couple of weeks is that during caucuses caucuses in northern Utah kicked out a lot of moderate Republicans and by any measure these Republicans were conservatives yeah they were just not ultra conservative she would probably be closer to the ultra conservative spectrum and so this will be a true test of is this another year of whether you think of them as tea partyists or january sixers or ultra conservatives will they have any pull and normally you would say no but gosh the last during the caucus a few weeks yeah. ago we were like "Ooh, good for them so interesting this is a reround for her um second congressional chris stewart has he didn't gather sig- um signatures so he's expecting to come out of convention which he most certainly will and aaron Ryder is a first-time challenger she's an attorney and she's got some experience um in public policy work and in smaller campaigns it will can be she she increase now chris stewart has seen some pretty good challengers in the past and mm-hmm. has always had pretty easy races and then who knows the fourth is a new race in town Burgess Owens does a great job at public relations you know yeah he he loves it he's made for sort of the camera part of it he's got a record to defend it's not a a, um, particularly excellent record but incumbents um, are usually in pretty good positions and then we've talked so much about the Mike Lee race um What's interesting about Mike Lee races, again, to remind everybody, Ali Isom and Becky Edwards are challengers who made it on the ballot. They both have good bona fides. The math there is that they cancel each other out more than likely. And then he's got a really interesting mix in that for sure he has a general election ballot because Emmett McMullen took the path to get to the general election and not just the primaries. So what it means for Mike Lee for sure is raising more money. What it means for like Mike Lee for sure is getting his reputation and his record pummeled through November. Um, will he survive? Perhaps. But it is a tell for him that he has this many challengers. And what has always been as Achilles is his likability numbers. Um, people may vote for him. They may even respect him. But he's not generally considered likable, if you will. And so 
he can assure himself that the next six months are going to be eating away at his likability numbers. Yeah, and that'll be the interesting thing because I think in this U.S. Senate race, it reminds me a lot of the gubernatorial race where there were a lot of qualified people, any of them who mm-hmm. could have done the job, had you know the prerequisites to you know go in there and serve and do know what they were doing. And I think the same thing happens in the U.S. Senate race. It depends on how many doors can they knock and meetings can they have where they convince people to switch. <laughs> name, name ID is king. You, the, the ratio of win is about 90% on the income. And when you look, it is never their job performance. It's that all of us, no matter what we think, we sort of go in and go, oh, I recognize that name. And we don't think to ourselves, gosh, do I recognize it because, you know, he just got indicted. (laughs) (laughs) But we really gravitate towards name recognition is comfort because familiarity is comfort and familiarity is trust. And so many of us are not doing as much homework as we used to do. So it is really a challenge to unseat an incumbent. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be boring for any of us. No, we have hot races. November, yeah. I also love hot races because I think interest in politics. I was reading an article about how much interest Trump um spurred in politics, actually. So I say this because Greg's not here and he can't grin because <laughs> I think yell. it's the fact that Trump engages you, as you would expect, is is an anathema to me. But um, it, more participation is a good thing. And I think having primaries, even if some people feel like they're not competitive or not, we keep the race going. And, and it broadens beyond just the wonks of us who are yeah. having this conversation into sort of more should I say normal people? Normal people. I do think that Trump brought people off the sidelines who maybe weren't registered for a long time or weren't a part of the conversation and kind of let elections go. So that was the interesting part. And he's an interesting lightning rod too. I, it'll be interesting to see if he decides to run, but I think there were a lot of people who were adamantly opposed to him the first time he ran. And I think that somehow people got used to him. I think Mm -hmm. even a lot of Republicans who were like, I just can't vote for him. Morally, I don't love it. But when they saw his policies, they're like, oh, we'll ignore his tweets and his whatever else he does. And yeah. we'll, we'll take that as part of the package. So. That was flow of so many what I would call mainstream Utah Republicans who started out saying this is an unacceptable moral character. Yeah. And it was interesting that they would still insist that he was unacceptable moral character. But gosh, is his China policy so compelling? The other note to watch there <laughs> is... Um, Mike Lee was just endorsed by him, which I think was a mistake because I think Trump only helps with your base. And I think Mike Lee has a handle on his base. Um, So that'll be interesting because the first time uh, it's really testing um, the cachet of the Trump brand and early primaries that have already happened in the U.S. He's got a very mixed record on whether his endorsement actually has hurt these people or helped. Yeah, and I don't think Lee gets anything for it. Like he, his, there was already an overlap between if you loved Trump, you were not choosing the alternatives to Mike Lee. Yeah, so um, it was interesting in my mind that Lee accepted his like wanted and I it'll be interesting to see if he sort of tucks it in his pocket and hides it away or is it at the front of every yeah ad and he does. I didn't even see did he ever say I accept his you know endorsement I saw it, the tweet with the yeah, press release kinda, but that's yeah. it it was a little low-key so you can't quite tell what his strategy yeah. is going to be in terms of when he pulls it out when he sort of low-keys yeah um, if you're ever wondering, though, if President, uh, former President Trump is still writing his press releases, <laughs> yes, he is. The funny thing is, is I think that came out on April f- 1st because I was reading it. I'm like, is this real? Is it not real? Because he called McMullen McMuffin. McMuffin. And then he called um, Senator Romney, not by name, but like the right. lesser senator of the state, in which I guess he is. He's the junior senator. Yes. But it was just two, two kind of smacks on the way in and the way out. So, Very yeah. Trump. Yes, it was. So 
He's writing his own presser still. Good for, good for him. He's keeping busy. Keeping busy <laughs> on the golf course. Thanks for hanging out with me, Mara. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we'll let Greg come yeah, back we'll, next we'll time. We'll see. Now we need to vote him in. That's right. We'll <laughs> let him know how that goes. And uh, we don't want you to miss us, but we are actually going to take a break uh, on Good Friday and the following Friday for a little spring break time. So please, nothing big happen in the next couple of weeks. That's right. <laughs> and we will be back to discuss uh, everything that happens at the end of April. Get involved. Go to meetings. Do the boring stuff, the important stuff. Thanks for listening and tell your friends about us.